0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Okay, Nick, here's our next conversation. Um, Occasionally, a client will come in, and as I'm gathering history about their lives or even in later sessions when I'm asking them about um, specific behaviors and we're talking about the past, I'll get this question. Why is it so important to talk about my past? What does that have to do with the present? What does it have to do with what I'm dealing with now? How do you answer that? Has that come up in your...
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, my The contrarian in me says... <laughs> The better question is, what does it not have to do with?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think think the reluctance there is like, I don't want to talk about painful things that have happened in my past. What does it have to do with anything? Right? Sure.
1: Yeah. I think it's born out of a natural, especially if you've, if someone's been in therapy or has been through some stuff and has really had to talk through it, um, a lot, maybe in situations where with someone who wasn't um, particularly sensitive or validating of it, um, there can be a reluctance, um, a natural understandable reluctance to kind of rehash all that stuff, especially if it's not, they don't have a lot of confidence that it's going to be productive, that it's going to do anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So, so you're, you're saying one reason is that one, they just, it's painful that uncomfortable to talk about.
1: Yeah, sure. If you, if you've got uncomfortable stuff in your past, it's going to be uncomfortable, but also a, um, feeling like it's not going to be helpful.
0: Right. And, I, and I think, I think that's, an interest. I mean, I, I agree. I think both the the discomfort with maybe past experiences and talking about those, um, and and the the question of how will that be helpful now, um, is interesting. Which which leads me to think that sometimes people don't really understand, um, the connection that the past has on the present. I guess. And so, elaborating on the connections, I think, is definitely a, worth our time.
1: Yeah how do you How do you start off that and answer to that question
0: you know i I try to do it you know in a in a very simple or parsimonious way, I guess in the beginning, and talk about you know you know what what we're doing in therapy a lot is is really looking at patterns of behavior patterns of thought um, and that to really understand what's going on in the present sometimes we want to know how those patterns formed basically, and so that's all in the past basic so by exploring sometimes your past you get an idea of where patterns were formed how they were formed what the what, what what's maintaining those patterns of behavior now even yeah in the present yeah mm-hmm.
1: almost like if you had a um if you had a car problems something's wrong with your your engine presumably the person who built your engine would be pretty good at uh, figuring out what the problem was right right understanding how it all like was formed and came together could be you know, useful in working out some problem with your car right now, even yeah. though it was built 15 years ago.
0: Right, right.
1: So if you can kind of go back a little bit and with maybe with the help of a, of a therapist, look back and kind of clarify what actually, you know, how were, how were you built in a way? Right. Um, there's through that analogy that you can maybe get a little buy-in of, yeah, it could be helpful.
0: Mm. And, and, and in the case of someone maybe who has experienced some really painful things in their, their childhood, um, and then their reluctance to talk about those things now in the present, that's a really good example of how maybe an avoidant pattern has started, right? These things are so painful. I try not to think of them. And even now that pattern plays out where I don't even want to talk to you about it in therapy. So you might kind of guess there's a pattern of avoidance there.
1: Yeah. I, I, um, I for the most part I I like the term pattern. You you use that a lot. And I think it's it's nice because it's um it's not it doesn't have a lot of baggage. Right. Associated it's not with jargony. It. It's not yeah, it's Something not like a therapisty can, yeah. jargon term. And when,
0: when you when you when someone starts launching into like these are reinforced behavior you know like what? Yeah.
1: yeah. And I think everyone I would think everyone who walks in the door of a therapist's office has some sense that there are unhelpful patterns going on. Like the, the the same problem seems to be recurring in some way, which is often a big part of why they end up in, because uh, there's been a problem and they haven't been able to figure it out on their own or with other, other means. And so I, I like the idea of patterns. And so what you're saying is um, a lot of times these patterns originate in the past.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, and, and I think research kind of bears this out, um, which, which sometimes, um, you'll hear, people who practice cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a a very, um, problem focused kind of therapy technique, I think. And, and, uh, there seems to be sometimes a, a disregard sometimes of talking about people's past, sometimes with cognitive behavioral therapists, sometimes. Um, but I think that's a disservice to your client and to the work if you don't, spend some time at least understanding contingencies and how well, patterns form. Why
1: do you think that is? Why do you think um, CBT therapists can be, can be, and certainly not everybody, but um, on a whole maybe there's a, a tendency to be a little dismissive of the past?
0: Well, there. I mean there's there's a lot to be said and a lot of research that says, you know, if you, if you just simply develop, um, if you just simply focus on um, what's happening in their present and you look at the maintaining variables of a pattern, let's say, then that's enough. That's good enough uh, to see significant results in therapy. And that might be true. Um, and I think research would probably bear that out as well. Um, and so I think sometimes cognitive behavioral therapists can just say, you know, you don't really need to understand the past so much. You just need to understand um, the, the things that are maintaining that behavior now and work on those things. And, and I, I think there's something to that. I, I agree on some level, um, but I think there's a lot to be gained both for you and the client to really understand how those patterns formed. Um, for example, one thing, and this is anecdotal, I realize I'm not presenting research on this, but some of my clients who have been able to really understand pattern formation where it happened maybe in their past. Um, it it gives them a really good handle on, Oh, this is how this started. I'm not, um, I didn't just make this up. I'm not crazy. You know, I came by this honestly, like there, there was a reason I started feeling this way, thinking this way, behaving this way. And so that can be extremely comforting, I think to clients at times.
1: Yeah. I I think this is the, it's a great way to um, dispel the infectious disease model of mental health. Right. Right. A lot of people, it can seem like, you know, out of the blue, all this anxiety came up or I just I just right. got depressed, yeah. right? And so it makes it feel like, well, I, I caught this illness.
0: The depression germ.
1: Yeah, the depression germ, exactly. Yeah. Um, and really that's not it's, it's not an accurate model of um, mental health issues compared to some, really compared to even a lot of medical issues, but the, the stereotype we have in our head is infectious disease. You, you catch some external thing right. and then it wreaks havoc on you. And if you take the right drug, it will get rid of that external thing and then you'll be fine. Then you'll be okay. But what I think that the point about bringing up the past is to show Mm -hmm. that there are in maybe in subtle ways, things, things you started doing or things you experienced, um, you sort of internalize these and they were maybe built up slowly over time. Right. And you kind of carried them forward and maybe there was some event in the not too recent past that. Um, set things off a big stressor and kind of exposed those patterns or habits that really had their origin a long, long time ago, but they're, but they were there for a reason.
0: Right. Or, or that these patterns formed in one environment or context where they were really useful, but have extended way too far and are no longer yeah. Useful or for so
1: what's what's a what's a specific example of that like can you think of a um, you could kind of
0: yeah I mean I, I mean if you look at a classic example of like a kid um, who was raised in a really angry household um, where where mom and dad fight all the time and he gets the kid gets yelled at he or she um, get they get yelled at constantly um, then it, it might be a really good idea for that kid to develop the skill of um, really paying a lot of attention to the mood of their parents as they walk through the door. Right. Having, you know, being really worried about whether their room's clean enough, whether they're um, making a mess, whether their toys are put away. I mean, it can really behoove them to get really hyper aware of um, their parents mood and their own kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. However, later on in life, when they're super consumed with um, checking that, it, that everybody's okay all the time and assuming that people are mad at them when they're not and um, being overly worried about whether they're um, making a mess somewhere. They've left something out. Sometimes perfectionism can set in in some of these environments and you see people get really anxious when things aren't perfect. Um, so... That I might explain to a client as, oh, you you developed this pattern of responding to this environment that was really scary and potentially dangerous if you didn't become hyper aware of these things.
1: And that's key that it was, some of these patterns could have been useful at one point. Most of them are, you know. Yeah, we do them for a reason.
0: Yeah, yeah. People don't do what doesn't work on some level, you know, so it's not like you. So, but for a client to be able to understand like, oh, I see where this started. I, I see the origin of this, and and how maybe I've overaccommodated this bit of information, and and extended it to where it just doesn't work anymore. You know, I don't have to be worried about people, and and or one of the inadvertent lessons I think that's get gets taught there is that you're responsible for how I feel. You know, the parent kind of an angry parent can inadvertently teach a kid, you're responsible for my mood, you know? And so sometimes you see clients who really feel responsible if their partner had a bad day and they can't cheer them up or, um, I feel responsible if someone in their family's going through something really hard, you know, they, they feel responsible in some way or guilty almost.
1: Now how, so that makes a ton of sense to me. Um, but let's, let's take it into the present pragmatically. So you're a client who, let's say you're really preoccupied and sort of um, neurotic almost about making sure that your spouse it feels okay. And if they have a bad day and they, they're grumpy or don't feel great, you can't settle down or be all right unless. And so you end up doing all these things that maybe even make the problem worse. Um, how does understanding that that habit was um, maybe originally built? in childhood for perhaps a good reason. How does understanding that, well, yeah, that's interesting, but how does that help in the present? What would your answer to that
0: be? Um, well, I think you're, then you're going to have a conversation about how those, now the two contexts are different now and how we need to maybe establish a different relationship to that emotion. Um, you have, or, or a different, um, response pattern to this situation. Um, that, that is more adaptive and useful. But of course it makes sense that you feel that way. I think a lot of that um, uh, is, is really important more for the client to understand the origin um, and, and less maybe helpful when you're talking about solutions now maybe. Um,
1: I think one of the things I notice a lot more and more with, um, with clients is that th- they often come in with a problem but it's kind of a double problem in the sense that... Um, they are, for instance, maybe they're having uh, panic attacks out of nowhere, right? And panic attacks are awful. They feel awful, and they can get in the way of, you know, your job or your life. Or So that's one layer of problem. But there's also this more subtle layer on top, which is, what's wrong with me? What's going on, right? right? Am, I, am I broken? Am I going to be like this forever? Is this, you know, how's this going to... And I think if... Um, you can do a lot to, to um, relieve some of that pressure from people if you can explain in a rational, understandable way why this is happening to you. That it's not just some disease you happen to catch, right? right? But that it's, it's an understandable, even predictable response given this set of things that happened maybe in the past. And I think if... A lot of people get enough relief from understanding why there's a problem that it, it it frees them up to actually start making good progress on working on the problem itself, the first layer of the problem.
0: I totally agree. I think, yeah, the dual problem is, is ever-present. You see this with all sorts of client with all sorts of different maladies is, is this kind of, <clears throat> I have this problem and what's wrong with me for having this problem kind of thing, right? And so... In some therapies kind kinda of, or, or even kind of an Eastern way of describing it, it's kind of like the difference between pain and suffering, right? Pain is something that we kind of naturally go through. Suffering is something we kind of add to the <laughs> equation because we're in it's pain. Ba- it's right? bad that I'm feeling pain. Yeah, yeah there's something wrong, wrong with me um, for feeling this way, right? Um, and then you can enter this really beautiful trap that your mind lays for you By saying, you know, ooh, the natural extension is if I feel this way, something's wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. So you
1: have a panic attack and you feel anxious, but then you get anxious about being anxious because you think what's wrong with me that I'm getting anxious.
0: Right. Or anxious that I can't just stop having panic attacks and like, why can't I control this or yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So I think it's really useful to be able to clearly and understandably walk someone through why they got to the place where they are.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think, um, and, and thinking about this now, even looking back, I, I might even say that understanding the pattern origin in the past maybe can help you stop the suffering and just deal with the pain. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: Um, so my, the, I, to me, the single best word for answering this question is habits. So the, the way I tend to explain this is for, gosh, n- most of the things that people come to my, into my office for, um, the the past doesn't directly affect the present. And so that's what I tell people when they have that kind of skeptical question of like, what what good is it going to do to talk about my past, right? And I will say, no, just rehashing your past is not going to directly affect what's going on in the present, right? But th- the past... Aff- does indirectly affect us in the present because it's where we develop these habits that are then affecting us, continue, you know live on and affect us in the present.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like what you said about just talking about your past. Probably isn't going to do a whole lot for you, right? right? Um, but we'll talk about your past so that we can um, gather some information about the variables that are maintaining this even now. Um, and so that you can have some grasp on um why these were formed in the first place. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, One of my lines I tell clients a lot in, in in our first session is um that as as your psychologist, my job is to kind of really hold up a mirror and just kind of say, Did you notice these patterns and how they work, you know? Um I think that's primarily one of my top duties as a psychologist, is just to say like, hey, did you notice this? Every time this comes up, we have this reaction and uh, maybe we, we wanna assess that for how functional it is in your life and um yeah.
1: But I But think, part of that is holding up a mirror to the past and helping them look at the past in yeah. a different way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. To make sense of it in some way. And to, I mean you see this a lot with people who suffer a lot of psychological abuse as children. Um, man, they're in survival mode. You know, they they really are. And and then later on in their life, um, sometimes I don't think they give enough credit to like, what did I go through there? And and how did I get through that? You know, and maybe I've adopted a lot of behavioral responses and, and uh, different relationships to emotions that I don't need anymore, you know, given that I'm not in that context anymore. Um, And so I don't know this. I mean, one of the most (laughs) tried and true theories in psychology is attachment theory. And it's all about, you know, how did you learn, in your past to get attention and, and uh, validation from your caregivers, you know, or primarily your caregivers. And the theory goes on to propose, well, then you'll probably do those types of things throughout your life. So, I mean, it's all about kind of understanding mm-hmm. how did I manage that time in my life and how is it playing out now?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's um, – the other thing that on kind of a more – I think those were good – these are good like specific – details we talked about how like the past can affect the present but um it's also good to take it to like a macro level and think about i think one of the reasons people have such a both uh, clinicians and lay people have such a conflicted idea of the past is that you have to take into account sort of the progression of psychological theories of how difficulties emerge so um the, the first kind of wave of clinical psychology um, in a way was uh, kind of Freudian psychoanalysis, right? Which mm-hmm. placed a huge emphasis on the past, like a really, really big emphasis yeah, yeah. Um, on your past, almost to the point of being uh, deterministic sometimes. Right. Um, and then, so I think it's important to, to see that and maybe a lot of people kind of took that too far. And, and, you know, you lay on the couch and you talk about your past for five days a week for a couple decades and you still don't seem to be getting better. Like understandably people are going to have a reaction against that. Like maybe just talking about my past isn't sufficient to make some change. Mm -hmm. So then you get like a movement like CBT in the sixties and seventies, which comes along. And I think like most movements, it's inherently reactionary. Yeah. It's a pendulum swing. Yeah. It's reacting against this excess from the previous movement. So it's understandable that it might swing a little too far, like you said, the pendulum in the other direction of kind of, well, the past isn't that important. right? And so one of the things I try and do with my clients and even just the way I think about things is to be a little balanced with it. Like clearly your past means something. It's important. Um, but it, it's not everything by any means. Um, but uh, to kind of enc- in the way I talk about things to encourage a, a kind of moderate, like balanced perspective on the importance of your past, but also the idea that you're not, you're not tied to it.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I think that's a, a very good way to succinctly kind of put like, you're not tied to it. It does influence, but you're not tied to it.
1: Yeah. And that looking at your past can be useful. Mm-hmm. It, it, the, like the term useful I think is it, it implies you can it, it, it's not it's not everything but it's important it can be important
0: right it's not the only thing you want to do but it can definitely inform what's going on now yeah um yeah I have a more romantic view I think of Freudian psychoanalysis but um because I, th- I think there are some interesting parts of that um
1: but a lot, a lot of, I don't know if you have, the, I have the experience, a lot of a client comes in and they're, they're a little hesitant starting off in therapy. You can kind of feel them like gearing up, thinking to themselves, oh God, I've told this story so many times. Right, right. And I think a lot of that comes from, they've been in therapy before where all they do is kind of talk through all the bad stuff that happened to them in their past. And they have someone who, who is kind of empathetic and he yeah. says, oh gosh, that must have been, must have been horrible. Tell me more about it. Right. And nothing really changes. And that's about it. And so I I think it's unfair to say that that's what, you know, psychoanalysis is. I think good psychoanalysis does much more than that. But I think a lot of people, unfortunately, have this experience with um, being kind of stuck in the past and not really seeing how looking at the past can be useful.
0: I I think that's true. I think I've had a lot of clients say, you know, "I, I was in therapy before. I felt like I was going to my appointments and just kind of, you know catching up and chatting, and it wasn't very helpful. Um,
1: Or or going through, uh, recounting awful things over and over again without anything changing in my life.
0: Right, right. Which
1: is obviously <laughs> discouraging as well.
0: <laughs> well, and, and you know, and some types of therapy do entail kind of talking about things over and over again, but there's a structure and a purpose to it. That, yes. Yeah, yeah. So if it's non-structured, just kind of rambling about your past and painful experiences, that may not be the most effective thing.
1: Right, and that's why I think it, it's on us to not only explain how your past can be, it, why it's important and significant, but to show how this is going to be helpful in the present and in the future, how we're going to use it, not just show that it's important, but show this is how we're going to use. This is how it can be useful moving forward.
0: Right. So maybe a good um, answer to that question um, might be that uh, the question of uh, what does the past have to do with the present is, is it's just not, it's not just solely talking about the past that we're after. It's really understanding that pattern formation and, what's going on now, um, the combination of those two things that uh is, is so effective. Cool.